Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the fifth season of the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combined with big ideas to make life better for all of us. I'm your host, Sean Nason, CEO and founder of Mophie. In these episodes, we'll be exploring the power, influence, and importance of experience ecosystems. To do that, we're bringing together the most unique and influential experience experts in the world for honest conversations about not being okay with the status quo, leading with heart, and getting real about heart sets and mindsets. In case you're wondering, an experience ecosystem is the web of people, touch points, and interactions that combine to create all of the positive and negative experiences we have in the world. When an organization wants to improve customer experience, they're wasting their time if they're not willing to engage and humanize their entire experience ecosystem. It's time to blow up some silos and ignite an experience revolution by putting people first. On this episode, we have Shep Hyken, who's a customer service and experience expert, award-winning keynote speaker, and New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author. As the chief amazement officer, and yes, that's his real title for Shepherd Presentations, he helps his clients create amazing experiences that get their customers, clients, guests, patients, members, etc., to come back again and again. His article is widely published, and he has been inducted into the National Speakers Association's Hall of Fame for his achievements as a professional keynote speaker. And Shep's new book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again, was released yesterday. We have a lot to learn from him today, and we are thrilled he is here. Welcome, Shep. Hey, I am excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Shep, you know, there are some godfathers in the experience world, and I I think you're one of those that the whole industry looks to. I have to know, though, just a fun thing, your book, I'll Be Back. Can you tell me what is the tie-in to Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator with that? (laughs) By the way, when you you just said, I'll be back, you kind of said it. Like he said it, you, it's hard not to say, I'll be back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, when I started to write the book, I wasn't thinking about the Terminator or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, what happened is several years ago, I did a speech for somebody and he talked about how we're constantly measuring our net promoter scores and our customer satisfaction scores. And we got into a really interesting discussion. I said, you know what we learn when we measure that, you know, when we use those surveys is we measure history. It is history. It's they were here yesterday. They were here (laughs) last week. And we need to know if they were happy or not. But what I'd like to know is, even if they're happy, are they coming back? How can we measure behavior? And that was just like always in the back of my mind. And then had an opportunity to expand on, you know, some articles that I'd written. I thought, you know what, it's time to write another book. I'm going to title it, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. And then I thought, oh man, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he would be the perfect guy to write the foreword. Well, 
<laughs> he hasn't written the foreword. And I've tried to even get an endorsement from him. And maybe he's going to listen to this show and he's going to say, darn, I wish I would have done it. Well, we could have a second printing if you're listening, Arnold. But That's right. Uh, but I did play off of that a little bit because it, it is fun. And I like to have fun. And if you if you go to the I'llBeBackBook.com website, I'llBeBackBook.com, there is a video trailer, like a movie trailer, and I have my sunglasses on and I kind of look a little Terminator-like. And every time I'm unhappy with the business, I go, relationship terminated. And then there's this big explosion and <laughs> we go on to the next business. And eventually I love the experience that I had at this pharmacy where I walked in and the pharmacist says, oh, we've been expecting you. And he hands me my bag and I turn around and say, great service, I'll be back. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, I always have foundational concepts, but I put a lot of new information, uh, especially because we're getting into the digital era and you can't really digitize or use technology to truly build a relationship unless you're Amazon or one of the few other companies that have figured out how to do that. But you can use it to augment, supplement, and support that relationship. I love that. The book's amazing. And I hope every listener goes out and, and reads it. So I want to talk a bit about your message and your approach to, to customer experience and actually to what we call the experience ecosystem, Chef, because I think you have such a phenomenal approach to it. And the main premises of your approach is in customers that return again and again, I'll be back, right? Right. What is the difference between repeat customers and loyal customers in your mind and in your philosophy? This is really important to understand because so many organizations confuse the two. By the way, it's wonderful to have repeat customers. So don't think that, you know, just because I say, hey, they're not loyal, that doesn't mean it's bad. It's what's driving them to come back. If you understand that and you're okay with that, well, that's perfectly fine. I'll give you a quick example. A loyalty program really many times isn't a loyalty program. It's a marketing program. It, it rewards you for repeat visits. And let me just use the most simplistic idea. I mean, we can talk about frequent flyer miles and point systems and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But if you go to a restaurant and they give you a little punch card and it says, hey, every time you come in here, we're going to punch your card. And on the sixth meal, it's free. You go, okay, great. So that's a marketing program, not a loyalty program. That's bringing you back. If you didn't give somebody the card, would they remember to come back the next time they wanted whatever type of sandwich you sell? And by the way, nothing wrong with that. I just want to emphasize that. That's great because we want to have customers coming back and we need sometimes to give them incentives to do so. And if we were to take away that incentive though, would they still come back? And that's how you know you have customer loyalty. See, typically loyalty is built on something beyond the process, beyond just the product. It's the experience and it's a little bit of an emotional connection. I love doing business with them. Well, the love word is an emotional word. So why? They're always so friendly. Okay, friendly is kind of tied to a perception and they make me feel good because they're friendly. You know, that's really important. And I'd even drive, you know, two miles past their competitor to go to them because that's how nice they are to me. So you've created this emotional connection that drives the loyalty. What won't drive true loyalty is just giving somebody a free meal every six or 10 times they show up. Make sense? 
I relate that back to my loyalty and my emotional relationship with Chick-fil-A. I, I have love a, them. I love I have, them. I have a bad emotional connection, but I opened up my iPhone right now and everyone's got their app. And it just clicked to me about what that whole connection between loyalty and return. Because in my rewards in Chick-fil-A right now, I have 44,921 points. That's a How lot many of sandwiches. Points. Can you get with that? I think it's about 1500 points sandwich. So you can figure that out right there. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Pretty fast. But I don't even worry about redeeming those points. I actually have a niece who will text me every once in a while and be like, Hey, Uncle Sean, can you send me some sandwiches? Because <laughs> I said, but right. So in that though, I love in the book, you, you highlight 10 loyalty killers that can terminate. Mm. Right. As Arnold would say, your relationship with your customers. Can you give us a sample, say like your top three or so of those sure. loyalty killers? Yeah. And that's chapter 14. Uh, and the title of the chapter is You're Terminated. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be your customer and then you lost them. Why? That's how the chapter starts out. So they're, they're the reasons that you know. You know most of these reasons. You know why uh, somebody wouldn't do business with you. Knew, you know why so, a reason you wouldn't want to do business with them. Number one reason. Well, and actually, what's really cool about this, I just uh, earlier this year did my Achieving Customer Amazement study, and we surveyed over a 1,000 customers, and we asked them why would they not want to do business with somebody and rudeness and apathy was right there at number one. So apathy is the number one reason we put in the book. Number two is rudeness. Number three is the contact information wasn't easy to find. And that's called friction. Really? It's so easy to just be a little bit nicer. As a matter of fact, there's a chapter in the book titled Be Nice. And I can tell you about that if you're interested a little bit later on. But rudeness, contact information. If you go, let's use Zappos.com, who is an icon in the world of customer service. If you go to any page on their website, even though they're an online shoe store and they sell many other things as well, their phone number is on every page. Because if you've got a question, they want you to call them. Yeah. And a good percentage of their customers do. And uh, much, much higher than typical online companies but they do that. And as a result, they have great ratings. The price is less relevant. They're definitely not the cheapest online store. That's for sure. And they have returned businesses again and again. Why? Simply because they make it easy. Another good reason, poor response time. They just didn't call back. I left a message. Four days later, they call me back. Well, by that time, I'd already gone somewhere else. <laughs> There's, you know, you make them wait too long. You know, how many times have you been on hold? Like, I can't stand calling certain companies because I know I'm going to be on hold for 30, 40 minutes. And all I'm going to do is listen to the music. And they're not giving me the option of them calling me back or, you know, that where if yeah. you're on hold, they'll at least tell you how long. Sometimes they don't even do that. But it turns out it's always that way. By the way, in this study that we did, we asked a crazy question. I threw in some zingers in there. Would you rather go to the dentist or call customer support? <laughs> oh, apparently 48% of people would rather have a root canal than have to stay on hold and finally talk to somebody who doesn't have an answer, who has to transfer you, and then you have to start over again. And it just gets really messy. So those are some of the reasons customers would terminate you. That's phenomenal to know that because we at Mophi have done a ton of work in the healthcare space. And to know that 48% would rather have a root canal than stay on hold is, uh, is phenomenal. Again, as you're talking about that, I, I had a recent experience with our government, I had to call the IRS for something that they gave me a number and an extension to call. And when I called it, 
it said that they were too busy to take my call. I would have to try to call another day. Is that ridiculous? And then they send you a fine for sending in your taxes late. It's like, I tried, I tried to call you, you know? Yeah, and, and there's no way for me to contact you. By the way, yeah. last year we had ratings of, you know, all the industries uh, when we did our ACA, the Achieving Customer Amazement Report, and government was rated as the worst industry. And is that no surprise? No. Now, because we wanted to find out, you know, if people would be willing to pay more for customer service, you really don't pay more for government. Okay. <laughs> Although it's like, would you be willing to pay 5% more in your taxes if you knew you can get somebody on the IRS quickly, you know, to answer the phone? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But you would be willing to pay 5% more for whatever if somebody were to be willing to give you more service. Yeah. And I recently read an article from Forrester where they talked about the Forrester is recommending that the government actually creates a chief customer officer position. They are uh, doing that. And I heard that. My wife yeah. told me to apply. You should. You should, no. Jeff. You, are you kidding? I don't want to get yelled at by that many people is in the entire <laughs> United States. And then, and then that's your step to the presidency if you're going to use no, all no. the back. Right there we go. That's, I think that's, I don't, that, I got to tell you, the problem is a little bit of the process. The bigger problem is the lack of training. And I think that fixes so much of what people yep. complain about related to any business, but specifically the government. If you go in to different, you know, they hire you, they teach you to do your job. And maybe, and I know it started with Obama or may even gone back further, but I know that he was very into trying to create a better service experience. And what tends to happen is that you train somebody when they come on board and then you don't train them again. Yep. Uh, a lot of companies are guilty of this too. And yeah. so I was yeah. contacted by a number of different government agencies and we talked about customer service training. And a line that I use over and over again is, you know, training isn't something you did, it's something you do. do. You know, just because you gave somebody a, a half day of customer service training the day they came on board, and then you threw them into the pit with the tigers and the lions and said, now go survive. You've got to constantly train and keep it front of mind. And soft skills are really important. And if you don't get people constantly thinking about it, they're going to revert back to processes and basically simply following rules, not necessarily uh, trying to create the experience. And that's why uh, years ago, I wrote a book titled The Amazement Revolution. I inter interviewed a gentleman named Jim Bush. At the time, he was the senior VP worldwide of customer service for American Express. Brilliant, brilliant man. And I realize support centers are different than a lot of businesses, but, but hear me out on this one. What he said is if he had a choice between hiring somebody that had skills and had worked in a call center before, and they had a good resume, but then there was somebody over here that never worked at the support center, but it had spent the last three years working behind the front desk at a hotel. He said, I'll hire the person who worked at the hotel. That person Absolutely. has a hospitality mentality. I can teach them the technical side of what they need to do, but it's hard to get the right personality to start with. But to their point, furthermore, they constantly train and they also use the net promoter score metric on a scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood that you would recommend us? Nine to 10 are your promoters. And by the way, sevens and eights are passive, you know, average, yeah. okay. And then you've got detractors on the low end and their compensation managers, supervisors, all the way up to Jim Bush himself at the senior VP worldwide level, 
part of his compensation was based on those net promoter scores being high. The only way that works is the people on the front line know what their job is and they're trained to deliver. And they were trained to make sure that when they got off the phone talking to the customer, the customer would be willing to recommend them. That's important. Let's dive into that because I think that also goes really deep into leadership and, and culture. And in many of your articles, you say that leadership sets the tone for company culture. So what tone do leaders need to set in order to create a culture that prioritizes customer experience or experience in general? So and we talk about this in the book. But I think if you look at it as a culture and not a department, that's the first thing. Customer service is not a department. It is a philosophy. It's ingrained in the culture. Everybody needs to understand their role as it applies to customer service. One of the chapters we have is what I consider foundational material. It's in every book that I do. I talk about different concepts. But here's one of the most important things to recognize. You may never, ever talk to a customer but you're supporting somebody that is or you're part of the process. Quick example, you're flying you know, somewhere and you check your bag at the airport and when you get to your destination, they show up on the baggage carousel. The people who are behind the scenes, who are managing the process of looking at the tag on the bag, scanning it, making sure it gets on the right cart, making sure it gets out to the airplane, making sure it gets loaded onto the airplane and then the reverse happens when it uh, lands, when the plane lands. There's probably six, eight, maybe 10 people that touch that bag. None of them ever see the customer, yeah. ever. Yeah. But if they fail, they're failing the customer. And by the way, there's a second customer that this person has who works downstairs in the baggage area. If they fail, not only do they fail the passenger, the ultimate customer who's paying, they fail their internal customer. Because you know what, if I'm that passenger, uh -huh. do you know where I had to when my bag is lost? to that little office where that <laughs> poor soul behind that counter scared of everybody walking in because nobody is ever happy walking into the baggage office in an airport. That's right. They're letting that person down by making them have to deal with people who have lost their bags and giving. That's a tough job. I don't think I would want that one. No. And, you know, I've said it several times on this podcast, except, you know, one of my biggest lessons as being a Disney cast member that I learned Mm -hmm. is even though I was backstage, I was in a finance role my whole time at Disney. I never had to relate to guests. But the biggest thing I learned, and I know this was a, a principle that Lee Cockrell put across all of the organization, is even if you don't deal with the guest, you deal with the guest. So I knew as a finance person, everything I did created that magical experience. So in your book, in chapter two, though, you discuss the most important measurement in business that leaders should consistently monitor. What is that measurement? And we've talked a little bit about it, and that is, do they actually come back? Uh, what is the behavior? So we want to measure, repeat, and not just intent, but actual behavior. So if uh, that promoter score isn't likely you would recommend this, and you say, oh yeah, I'll give you a 10. Yes, I would. But do you actually recommend us? And so whenever I talk to sales groups, which I do quite a bit, I mean, I, I hit different areas with them. I work, I think that 
you know, clients who hire me to speak, some of them hire me to talk to everybody in their company. And they have these meetings where they bring in employees from the finance department because they need to understand their role. But sometimes in front of truly frontline sales related people. And, you know, if somebody says on a scale of zero to 10, the likelihood is they would recommend you. I would call them up and say, well, thank you very much for that great score. By the way, who are the people that you would recommend us to? You know, why not ask? And and why not? Oh, your brother needs a new car. Well, great. Can I have their number? Would it be okay? Would you recommend or would you connect us? And so I want to measure behavior. And that's why does the customer come back is an important measurement to look at, not just the fact that they were happy, which by the way, implies that they might come back. And if you had a lot of survey data that said you're doing a lousy job, customers aren't happy, they aren't happy with their employees, it's inconvenient, et cetera, et cetera, you can understand why they wouldn't come back. And if they give you raving scores, you understand why they do. But once they're there and you recognize the behavior, know that number one, customers who come back again and again, not only are they less expensive to manage as far as acquisition because you've already acquired them the first time. Now you're wow. just in maintenance mode. But number two, they spend more money typically than a one-time or a minimal number of time type of customer would spend. Uh, Important to know. Huge, huge for people to understand. I remember in 2019 when I'm no longer work for Disney, obviously, but when Disney raised their prices on tickets to help manage crowd control, that didn't really work. And what my wife said to me is, well, you better take on another client to afford our Disney bill. So, right, like it didn't matter what the cost is because we're going to probably spend more money there and it's less right. cost for them. So I, I love that. Can we talk about that though for a moment? Yeah. You know, raising prices is never a happy moment for the customer or, or the guest at a Disney theme park or any business for that matter. However, Disney did it for the right reason. They said, we're losing control of the guest experience. So we need to raise prices so that not as many people will come, which is a shame that not as many people will come. Maybe it's, it's a financial <laughs> situation. But at the same time, if there were so many people and it was so crowded, people would say, I'm never gonna come back. That was just terrible. I had to wait an hour and a half for every ride. It was so crowded just to get a snow cone for my kid. I had to wait 45 minutes. You know, That's not a pleasant experience. And in order to deliver experiences, that our customers love, sometimes it costs a little bit more money. And here's the cool thing. Customers will pay more for a better experience. We ask them, would you pay more for a convenient experience? Would you pay more for a personalized experience? Would you simply be willing to pay more for a better experience? And we got to the point where we're asking them specifically in travel and hospitality, how much more would you be willing to spend for an amazing experience versus an okay experience? And I think it's accurate data because we were looking at over a thousand consumers and asking this question. And the gurus say, once you get past 600, your margin of error is pretty small. But the service experience makes price less relevant. It's that simple. And yep. raising the price for the right reason to create that better experience is a very good reason. Right on. I love that, Chef. At Mofi, we have a, a belief statement that says, Experience can be a powerful competitive advantage, but only if your entire experience ecosystem engages the right mindsets and heart sets. So how can every company be competitive on experience 
especially smaller ones or startups. I'm gonna give you out of chapter 15 from the book, which is the final chapter. It's titled Where the Rubber Hits the Road. And I go through this process of creating the I'll Be Back customer. And that is this, and I'll just take you through the steps. Number one, get a group of people together. You got your leadership team, get people from the front line, get people from the finance department and have a small group together. And by the way, if you're a tiny business that has four people, three people, then bring them all together. <laughs> It's that easy. But what you want is people from different parts of the company so they feel they have a part in what's going on. But here's what I want everybody to do. Ask themselves and answer the question, why would someone do business with us? Like in us instead of the competitor. And give me good answers or give yourselves good answers. I won't be there. The answers like, oh, we are really good at customer service are the same answers your competition will give. Is there something that truly makes you unique and different? There may not be, but look for it. If there is, you need to know it. You need to exploit it. Number two, ask about your competition. What is the competition doing that would make a customer want to do business with them instead of us? And by the way, when you look at what you're doing and what they're doing, you can feel pretty good if you've got something that they're not doing. But now you basically need to keep pace. If they're doing something that you're not doing that you could be doing, I don't want you to copy it. I want you to make it your own. I mean, in some cases, you may have to do exactly the same thing. So the next step is to take a look at companies outside of your industry. Who are the companies that you love to do business with? Any type of company, big or small. It could be Amazon, Disney. It could be the shoe repair store down the street. It could be, if you're in manufacturing, maybe there's this inside sales rep at one of your vendors that is just so amazing. You know, write down these companies you love and the reasons you love doing business with them. Is it a process? Is it lower friction and better convenience? Is it a person? You write these down and then the next step is, what are they doing that you could be doing? And by the way, read between the lines. Example, when somebody, uh, Amazon almost always comes up on these lists. Why do you like Amazon? Well, they're easy. Well, tell me more. Okay, easy. Give me specifics. Well, I love that when I place my order, I immediately get an email that says your order's been placed. And a few hours later, they tell me the order's been shipped and there's tracking information so I can see it, where it is in the process. And then when they finally drop it off, then now they send me a picture of it sitting at my doorstep. And maybe we're not the kind of company that mails things out, but you know what I read between the lines on that when I say, you know what the customer loves about that? It's not the actual email. It's the fact you're giving them information. Customers love information. Are we giving our customers as much information as they can be getting as they do business with us? So that step five is what are they doing that we could be doing? And let's start to figure out what we can implement. And finally, step six is going back to the original question. Now, that we are getting ready to implement or we have implemented, depending on when you come back and ask the question, why would somebody do business with us? And hopefully you'll have more answers. And that's going to start to set you apart from your competition. I love that. I wrote a lot of notes around that. And we actually talk about in our ecosystem is we call it marketplace awareness and mm -hmm. being very aware of what the marketplace is happening, your competitors, what's happening outside of that space. Because we've worked in healthcare for a lot of years and done a lot of work there, you know, healthcare is probably the worst industry about looking outside of their own industry. And they wonder why it's still so broken. I just did a, an interview recently 
for a group, an industry event for healthcare. And actually, I ha- and I'm, I'm going to go back and look at that because I have an event coming up where I'm speaking to a bunch of uh, administrators at medical systems. I don't know how broken it is. I think what's happened is it's become very competitive. And I think that's good for the patient because if, who is their customer? If competition forces everybody to raise their game and the healthcare systems that don't recognize that are playing really catch up and keep up and they're way behind. And sometimes that's what you're forced into. When it's hard to get in to see a doctor, when you finally do get in and you sit there and you wait 45 minutes or an hour. Once again, I go back to what we talked about earlier. Would you rather go to the dentist or call customer support? And I think if the dentist puts you into the waiting room for an hour and then when you came in, you get the idea. Then people would say, no, I'd rather go to customer support. Healthcare has a great rating system. I mean, you got your press gaining, you've got a couple other programs out there that rate your medical center, your clinic, your urgent care on how well you're doing from the patient standpoint. We're working <laughs> 10 years in that space. Those are what I would say okay systems because once again, press gaining, even what HCAPs and CSATs and all of that is always looking in the rear view mirror. And yep. it's 90 days typically in the rear view mirror. And I've also been put on record as saying that I don't also love NPS because of the same reason. Okay, so I've got to ask you then because you said the amenity wars. What's going on there? Well, basically, I mean, and it applies to any business, but the amenity wars started with hotels, hotel amenities. And some really savvy hotelier, owner of a hotel said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give everybody a newspaper. And uh, why don't we ask them uh, if they want a newspaper and when they wake up in the morning, it'll be sitting at their doorstep. And they gave away newspapers. And somebody across the street said, hey, the hotel across the street is giving away newspapers. (laughs) We should do that too. And then no longer is it a special amenity. Hey, I got an idea. Let's put a mint on a pillow, you know, a little piece of chocolate on the pillow. And somebody did that. Oh, that's a great idea. And it got out and all of a sudden, everybody else started doing it. (laughs) And so it created an amenity war. And that's what has happened in business. When we did Mm. our Achieving Customer Amazement study, we asked people, what are your basic expectations? And they wanted somebody that's nice and they wanted somebody that's knowledgeable and they wanted an easy way to get, if they needed help, you know, talk to somebody. All those were there. And we asked them to rate from very important to important, not that important, really not important, don't even care about it, whatever the five steps were. And if you looked at what was rated important and very important, for example, convenience was second to last and personalization was last. (laughs) Wait a minute. These are really important. I just got, I asked them later on in the survey, would you be willing to pay more for convenience? And like 70 plus percent of the people said, yes, I would, but how can it be so far down on the list? Here's why. Table stakes are that you're friendly and you're knowledgeable. Now, once we get past the table stakes and maybe a good process, but once we get past that, then what differentiates me? It could be that I'm easier to do business with. It could be that I know you better than the competition. Those become differentiators. But recognize those differentiators, if you look at the amenity wars, eventually will become trends and then they'll become expectations. If I don't get that newspaper offer or know I can pick up a newspaper, at least at the front desk, I might be disappointed at that hotel. Wow, that's a great way to look at it. Do you have a sense of how much money is being lost every year on poor customer service experiences? 
Well, I do, not in the last couple of years. Uh, it, things have changed so dramatically with the pandemic, but I will tell you about three years ago, I was throwing out a stat that approximately $75 billion was lost due to poor customer service. Now think about that. People left a company and chose to you know, spend money elsewhere. But here's the good news, okay? If $75 billion was lost to the bad companies, good companies gained $75 billion worth of business. Yeah. Well, Shep, we've come to this point in the podcast. Um, we do this thing called the combustion questions. Answer them what comes to the top of your head. But um, are you ready for your combustion questions? I'm ready. I have no idea what this is. But I mean, you mentioned, <laughs> be careful, they're going to be coming. Here we go. I've All braced right. myself. That's right. So combustion question number one, if magic was real, what spell would you try to learn first? Wow. The ability to transport myself instantly ah. to other places. Where to? Oh, if I can, you know, beam me up, Scotty. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna go you're gonna go with Jeff Bezos to the to the moon. So right, right. But I mean it's like if I can go, if I can get from here to Orlando in the blink of an eye, that's pretty cool. I mean, I thought I've thought, do I want to fly? Do I want to be invisible? Then maybe being invisible wouldn't be a bad one either. I yeah. can then listen in on things I need to hear. I love it. <laughs> All right. Combustion question number two. What's your favorite dinosaur? I'm going to go with the brontosaurus because they're just nice. So they're the head of the customer service team. So <laughs> isn't the brontosaurus the big one that eats leaves and, you know, very friendly? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, I like that one. Okay. Here's a hard one for you now. Combustion okay. question number three. What do you think about pancakes? Love pancakes. And you know what? Don't need the butter, but bring on the syrup. Okay. Now, do you just like plain pancakes or is there like chocolate chip pancakes? What is it? You know what? If what you're known for is your plain pancake, bring it on. If you're famous for the blueberry, banana, chocolate chip, granola combination, I'm all in. Yes. I actually had some lemon blueberry ones this morning. Ooh. So, Shep, thank you again so much. We're going to take the last 30 seconds to a minute and let you let our listeners know where to find your new book, where to follow you. Tell them all where you're at. Well, the book, you can go to amazon.com. We already told you the I'llBeBackBook.com. But if you want to just hang out with me, just go to Hyken.com, H-Y-K-E-N. And, uh, I post articles every single week. So sign up for either, it's either you're going to sign up for the newsletter or to get that Achieving Customer Amazement Report. I put out lots of content. If you want to follow me on YouTube, go to Shep.tv or, you know, so that's easy. Just remember my name, Shep. And then if you want to, uh, I have a TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home. It's a fun TV show. You can go to beamazing.tv. So there's lots of places, but you know what? Let's start with go to Amazon, buy the book, and then come hang out with me at hiking.com. Awesome. You heard it all here. So excited for your book release. Get out there, buy it. I'll be back, right? Thank you again, Shep, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. Let's keep the conversation going by connecting on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. To learn more about the world of experience ecosystems, go to mofi.co, where you'll discover ideas and resources to help you ignite your own experience revolution. 
be sure to check out my book, Kiss Your Dragons, Radical Relationships, Bold Heart Sets, and Changing the World, available now at Amazon. Then head over to SeanNason.com to engage resources, a discussion guide, and information about everything from self-paced training to personal coaching. You can find this episode's recap at SeanNason.com. We know you lead a busy life, so if you're driving, exercising, or maybe just blowing your own shit up, don't worry. We've already taken the notes for you. Each recap is filled with exclusive guest information, episode themes, quotes, resources, and more. And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review. As always, stay safe and be well.